0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the first chapter. In those days, Mary sent out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The gospel of the Lord. Praise I invite the congregation to be seated and children to come up for our children's sermon. They have children's church. They have children's church. In that case, I invite you all to be seated, and we'll all just be children of God together, right? (laughs) So, this being the fourth Sunday of Advent, we have been waiting a long time. We began the first Sunday of Advent with an apocalypse, because how else would we talk about Christmas waiting for Jesus, right? But by talking about the end of the world. The second Sunday, we always talk about John the Baptist, because... We, we spend a lot of time during the Christmas season talking about funny-looking people, elves and things like that, right? So John the Baptist fits right in with that. Being someone who lives in the desert, wears clothes made of camel hair and eats locusts and wild honey, you know, your normal sort of guy that you would expect to bring the good news that God is coming to the world, right? This is definitely the person that I would entrust that message to. So the second Sunday of Advent is reminding us that we hear the Word of God from unlikely places. The third Sunday of Advent, we have the the first mentions of what we consider to be something that sounds like Christmas. And then this story here today is a story of great anticipation. It's a story of joy. It's a story of a people who have been waiting for generations for the promise that God has made to them to be fulfilled that finally their exile would be over, that finally their, their oppression under the rule of the Romans would be lifted, that finally God is sending a warrior, God is sending a king, God is sending someone to restore the fortunes and the kingdom of Israel. And upon hearing the good news and the greeting from Mary, the child, spoiler alert, this is John the Baptist, leapt in Elizabeth's womb, for joy at hearing the coming of the one that he was sent from birth to proclaim. Yesterday, I was at the uh, at the ordination of one of the we call our we who, you know, are ordained call ourselves sons or daughters of congregations. I was at the ordination of a fellow son of Christus Victor Lutheran Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was a it was a joyous occasion because we have been waiting for years. For this to happen through his, through his candidacy and through his time in seminary and waiting for his first call. And finally, now that he knows he's going to Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace in Anchorage, Alaska, he was able to be ordained yesterday. And a few of us were reminded of the kind of anticipation that he was waiting for. You know, we, we thought back in our own lives, hoping that when we finally saw it, it would be worth all the wait. That that when we were finally there together, that it would have the momentous importance that we were hoping it would have. That it would would be that life-altering, life-changing event. And finally, I remember that day when I was there with my wife and we saw it a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Anticipation, hope, waiting, the joy of seeing something that you waited for for a long time. And because I'm a nerd, yes, Star Wars was, was every bit as exciting for me as Edwin's ordination. What can I say? I, I'm not hard to amuse. But, you know, the, that same kind of waiting and anticipation is something that we experience a lot of times in our lives. And I, I think in this case, maybe for, for those of us who, who do harbor that inner nerd, the, the Star Wars waiting is something that really has bearing to what we're waiting on in Advent. Because we're hoping that when it gets here, it'll be worth the wait. We're hoping when it gets here, it'll be worth the hype. We're hoping that when it gets here, we won't be completely disappointed by what ends up happening. To, to connect it more directly to the first story, ordination's that way too. You know, we, we wait and we hope that when we finally get into the place where we're the pastors of a congregation, that both we can live up to the expectation and be the pastor that we hope we are, And also that in the congregation we'll find a place that suits us and fits us. We'll find a place where we can where we can find the ability to to lead a congregation and to be led by a congregation. And as we think about how this all relates to Advent, remember what I said that they were waiting on in Jesus. They were waiting on the king. They were waiting on the warrior. They were waiting on the one who would free them from Rome. They were waiting on the one who was going to come riding on a chariot or a horse or whatever animal you prefer, but certainly one that's more majestic than the donkey we talk about on Palm Sunday. Someone who is going to be wielding the power of God Almighty to free them from their oppression. Someone who is going to be royal in the way we expect them to be royal and powerful, in the way we expect them to be powerful. And what do we get? A baby. Born in a place where there's not really enough room for them to be born. Laid in a manger. A place where animals feed. Born to an unwed teenage mother. And the man who hears a story that he can probably hardly believe, that I am a virgin and yet I am pregnant, but this is God's child. And somehow, the faithfulness of this family is enough. Somehow, this entrance is the entrance that our king takes. So much different from what we would expect. Because, let's face it, if, if I were writing that script, then it would look a lot different. Because Jesus would be born not in Bethlehem, you know, which, which might as well biblically be a galaxy far, far away, right? Because it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it is podunk Israel. But it would be some place where people could see and applaud and celebrate. It would be in a, in a place that has the lavish appointments that we would expect for the child of God to come into the world. It would be in a place that certainly was more fitting. But that's when I think about the Jesus and the king that, that I would expect. And I have to admit that what I want, the the king that I hope for, is the king that follows along the lines of what they were expecting. The one who is going to vanquish my fears, the one who is going to vanquish my doubt, the one who is going to conquer those things that have dominion over me. And yet, what I get still, in the reality of this story, Jesus, laid in a manger, is... Not what I would expect. And I think if I were there, I would ask myself, after generations of waiting, is the reality of this story really worth all the hype? Or am I going to be let down by what has just really happened? And, you know, one of the things that, that we realize going into Christmas, we, we, celebrate, we celebrate the baby Jesus because the baby Jesus is the one in whom there is infinite hope and infinite possibility and infinite expectation, the same way we have with our own children and grandchildren, the same thing we experience whenever we see any baby. Babies are cute primarily because they haven't had time to upset us, right? Babies are cute and and full of promise because they haven't had time to disappoint us. But give them time, and everyone who is born will take that opportunity and disappoint us, and upset us, and frustrate us, and dash our expectations, right? And in the Christ child, we celebrate this possibility that, that God has finally fulfilled this promise in a way that feels like fulfillment. And yet the story that we tell for the rest of the church year is how our expectations were dashed, how our hopes were changed, And how we began to realize that God is not part of our narrative. But we are part of God's narrative. God is not part of our story. We are part of God's story. God's not part of our plan. We are part of God's plan. Because the Savior that we get, the man that Christ becomes, which is what we really celebrate at Christmas, is so much different than we expect. Not someone who is coming to throw down the the emperor, but the one who is coming to reclaim the religion and the theology that has grown stale and stagnant and old. To reclaim the theology that had begun to say that all these people are outside and we, the few who are chosen and lucky, are on the inside. As Jesus opened up doors into communities that were shut, eating with tax collectors, welcoming the Samaritan woman to bring him a cup of water, which was unheard of, first of of all, for him to talk to a woman, second of all, for him to consort with a Samaritan, as he showed mercy to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. As even on the cross, he gave the possibility to hope for at least one of the thieves. We see what our Savior does, who is winning a victory, not necessarily for the good church-going people, as they understood it, but for the people who were cast out, the people who were downtrodden, the people who felt broken and lost and scared and afraid. And we understand that what it means to be a part of God's plan is not that God saves us in our wholeness, not that God saves us in our competence, not that God saves us according to the best of our abilities because in the best of my abilities, in the best of my competence, in the best of my wholeness, my ego tells me that I don't need God. But in my brokenness and in my doubt in my fear and in my shame and in my pain, I realize that I am not enough. And in that space, that is where I need the real Savior that God sends to us. The one who is able to stand in the midst of the places in our lives and our hearts and our families and our communities and our nation and our world that we would call hell and declare that this is where new life begins. This is where your brokenness begins to be healed. This is where your shame is made into something that is righteous and holy, not because righteousness and holy reside in you, but because where God is, everything is made new. And everyday normal things become holy, because where God is, there is sacred space in creation because that is how we respond to the presence of God. This is the power of the Christ child who comes to us in the way that we would never expect, and truth be told, none of us would really want, because it so turns our expectations upside down. God comes to us in our weakness, because in our weakness is the only way that we are able to see God In the fullness that God can come. We hear this morning of a baby that leaps in the womb for joy of the presence of the Savior. Where in our lives are we dead? Are we broken? Are we hopeless? Are we weak? Where we long and crave and pray that we might find the joy of the presence of God. Where is it in our lives or in our family or in our community or in our nation or in our congregation that we are hungering and thirsting for the new life that only the presence of God can bring, where all we can see is those everyday, ordinary, broken, discarded hopes and dreams and things that we've given up on where in the presence of God, everything will be made new. This is the hope of Advent. Not that God comes to make the world pretty by, by putting blue stoles on us, even though my blue stole is my favorite one. you know. Not, not that God comes to us and, and makes us happy for all the things that we have, even though we're thankful for the things that we have but that in the places where we have no other hope, God is powerful enough to be God. How during this Christmas season can, can we welcome God into those places in our hearts where we hope nobody will ever see because we are just convinced that if even God saw them, God couldn't love them. And... The other question that I think Advent causes us to ask is how is it that we carry this good news that God calls us through the waters of baptism into a life that even we can't mess up into a world that needs so desperately to hear words of healing, that needs to hear words of hope, that needs to hear the words that God is big enough to solve the problems, that God is big enough to carry the burdens, that our God is big enough to heal the brokenness that exists in a time when the brokenness and the divisions and, the, and talking bad about each other and all the things that we all experience in our lives and in our world seems so powerful. The good news... That God is big enough to heal creation, even as broken and as frustrating and disappointing as it is. That's the question of Advent. How do we trust this? And how do we bear this for the people in the world so that they can see the glory of God revealed through us? Come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. For generations we have waited and watched and hoped, and you come to us in ways that we don't expect. Open our hearts so that we can receive you as you come, and thank you, God, that you don't come in the way that we hope. Amen.